Inverse Genius Episode 3, Street Level Heroes. In this episode, Donald Dennis and Giles Pritchard talk about Netflix's new series, Jessica Jones. Inverse Genius Podcast is brought to you by our fantastic Patreons at patreon.com slash obg. Thank you and check it out. So, uh, hey everybody, I'm Donald Dennis, and I'm here with an inverse genius regular guest star contributor, Giles Pritchard. Hey, it's been a little while since I've uh, been on any of the shows, Don, but yes, um, it's a pleasure to be back. It's great to dust off the old microphone and um, have the opportunity to talk to yourself. We missed you, and we always thought that perhaps it was Eric's bad Australian accent that chased you off. <laughs> I actually thought uh, that he'd got an Australian ring in to do that accent. It was so good. <laughs> I think our definitions of good might be different. <laughs> but all right. Well, so we are we were talking about comic books just a few minutes ago and sort of the Marvel Cinematic Universe as it relates to. Well, that's a good question. Do we want to talk about just the Netflix stuff or do we want to do a first an episode on the Marvel Cinematic Universe as a whole? Um, well, you know, when, when, when we talked about doing um, a couple of segments and, and relating it to the Netflix series, Jessica Jones and Daredevil and, um, and the like, um, I, I, I don't know if I'm qualified really to talk too much about the Marvel Extended Universe. You know, I come to those series as someone who hasn't read really any of the comic books or been that familiar with Marvel um, in the past. I've seen a couple okay. of the, the movies, but not... You know, I'm not a, a an avid follower of the movies, so to speak, but I've certainly watched the series and enjoyed them a lot. So um, that's that's sort of my context in terms of coming to um, in coming to Jessica Jones and Daredevil and um, and some of those things. Well, then let's just talk about the premise of it real quick, yep. which was that uh, you know Marvel had sold off a whole bunch of their uh, key properties because they were having a tough time, and so then we got really bad movies. Like, well, most of the Fantastic Four movies and, uh, you know, a couple of the Hulks weren't that good and so forth and so on. <laughs> your, your favorites and, and least favorites might not work. But we did get Blade and the original Blade movie was pretty darn good. And then eventually Marvel got bought by Disney and Disney said, hey, uh, and I don't know whether the idea of the MCU was before or after Marvel got involved with Disney. But the whole premise is, is that there's a whole bunch of movies that are all at least partially connected to all the movies through which they will eventually do these big team-up movies like Avengers 1 and 2. Mm. And uh, then they're going to do the uh, the Gauntlet movies. And and so, but there's also the television show, which is Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And Netflix has said, you know, we can do some of this Marvel stuff and we don't need all of these fancy schmancy special effects. And so they are doing the street level stuff, which is all going to sort of end up as kind of a Defenders movie, or they'll be doing some Defenders stuff. I don't know whether it'll be movies or miniseries or whatnot. And and so right now, what we have is you sort of have the bright, colorful, comic booky stuff with Thor and Iron Man and, and the bigger, more flamboyant heroes. And then you've got uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which is sort of... 
undersupported and has wild swings in quality. <laughs> and and then now we've got uh, three miniseries that are out from Netflix, and they are Daredevil, Jessica Jones, and Daredevil Season 2. And we've got the Luke Cage coming up. And that's coming up. Oh, yeah, that'll be out in September, I think, mm. right? September or November. One of the errs. Yeah, I hadn't, I, you know, I, I, I knew um, in terms of the, you know, the Marvel Extended Universe that they were um, creating a series of movies based, you know, on the various um, characters and things like that. And they were all going to tie in um, to some level, you know, with their stories uh, and overarching plot lines and overarching plot lines and things like that. And that was an idea I really, really loved. So even though, you know, I haven't, I haven't watched all of the, the Marvel movies, I still, you know, try and read about it because I find that I that whole idea of tying all of these different movies and things like that together um, to be a fascinating one. It was, it was, I think, a really um, interesting and brave decision when they first made it, and it's proved to be such a successful one. You know, the the, the movies have just gone, you know, absolute box office, you know, smashes. Um, it, it, I just think it's such a a, a brilliant idea to to create all of these various movies but have this overarching um, series of plots and stories and, and so forth that tie them together. Uh, I, I really, really like that, even though, you know, I haven't necessarily followed all of them, all the movies through. Right. And so the, the interesting thing about it is, is that they are all fairly different tonally-wise. Mm. Uh, and, of course, then you look at the Guardians Galaxy, Guardians of the Galaxy, which is you know, space adventure. It's their Star Wars for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> and you've got uh, Thor, which is kind of mystic and big and operatic. And then you've got, uh, you know, Captain America, which is kind of strange because he's got a completely different theme. It sounds it seems like every movie, but he's got sort of the darker, more serious themes with the, oh, we're doing intrigue, we're doing the Hydra thing. We're doing a lot of spycraft stuff, which is not what you expect when the main character of the movie is the Boy Scout, the All-American. He's not hes not the deceptive guy. I mean, he's fairly guileless, right? Yeah, yep. And then you've got the drunk, <laughs> the alcoholic <laughs> Tony Stark, and he ends up being really the life of the party whenever he's around. So eh, it's kind of neat. But I think we... Our big focus, what we really wanted to talk about, was the the Netflix stuff, uh, or at least that's that's what I thought we did. Is yeah, that where yep. we want to move? Okay. All right. So Netflix is post the event, which is, I guess, what they're calling the the invasion of New York that happened in Avengers One, and sort of all of the Marvel Cinematic Universe is drastically impacted by this thing it's like there's the realization that there are superheroes and that people can do more than just be victims and it's not you know life as usual yeah and so hell's kitchen is an area where the daredevil series happens and and jessica jones is you know in that same area i don't know whether it's i don't think it's limited just to hell's kitchen um but there's been devastation and and property damage and so forth and so on and, uh, you know, where, where are we going to start? Do we want to do Jessica Jones or do we want to do Daredevil Season 1? I mean, because doing Jessica Jones is out of order, but it's kind of the one I think that there's more to talk about. Well, let's go with Jessica Jones to start with. And then when we get to either, you know, when we record next, we can do Series 1 and 2 of Daredevil. Oh, okay. Great, great, great. Um, 
So what is Jessica Jones about? Um, well, it's Jessica Jones is a you know is, is, as you said a, a series about uh, the main character Jessica Jones who's got um, you know these superpowers. She's um, very strong and, and all the rest of it. Um, it's really you know uh, you know you talked you talked earlier before about how the different Marvel movies are tonally different. What's really interesting with the Netflix series is that they're very dark and very adult. Um, in a lot of the themes and, and things like that that they that they convey that that they that, that are central to the way the um, the series is shot and the way the plots progress the way the characters develop and so forth so Jessica Jones is a really troubled character um, she's got a lot of sort of anti-hero aspects to her personality you know she's an alcoholic she um, really pushes people around her away from her you know personal connection wise um, so she's is this really troubled character, um, but also uh, a hero as well. So there's that really interesting dichotomy with her character. And I guess the first series is interesting because it, it pits her against her, you know, the, the, the nemesis in the first series, um, Kilgrave. And, and he, for mine, is probably one of the best villains that I've seen on screen for a long time. I think his character is, is absolutely phenomenal. You know, he's this sort of evil villain, but at the same time he's got aspects of an anti-hero as well. Um, by creating the backstory of both Jessica Jones and Kilgrave are so intertwined, and Kilgrave's background too, um, the way that's explained through the series creates a lot of empathy um, from the viewer towards that character as well. So it's not a dyed-in-the-wool, these are the evil guys, these are the good guys. It's a really it's a really murky sort of area. And I think you know the same applies with Daredevil as well to some extent, um, especially moving into the second series. Um, so I think you know that that's uh, I, I find that to be one of the most fascinating, one of the most intriguing um, aspects of these series. And Jessica Jones really does that well, especially with the with the, um, the the pairing of Jessica Jones herself, who's this you know fantastically strong um, female uh, character, and Kilgrave, who is this um, fantastically complex um, villain. Well, see. I think the the contrast between you know, Jessica Jones and Kilgrave are is is amazing, but I don't. I mean, I think his sort of origin story and his drives are, I guess, to a degree understandable, but he sort of comes across as you know a one note sociopath, as opposed to to me as opposed to a richly complex character. And it's because it's because he sort of has one drive and and he's a very obsessive personality. But let's let's pull back a second before we get to the characters too yep. much. <laughs> the Jessica Jones is a attempt to do a noir style story, where as you mentioned, the main character is flawed. It's you know, how many noir detectives are hard drinking, hard fighting, you know, just just sort of hard boiled what? And and at the beginning, that's exactly what you get from Jessica. All right. By the time you get to the end, you realize that she, and there's going to be spoilers in this. All right. So I think that we, we just got to say spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. Um, <laughs> I was a bit unsure about going too deep into the plot because I didn't want to go. I, I wasn't sure whether we we're going to cross spoiler territory or not, but now I'm clear. I'm right. Yes. Spoiler, 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 spoilers. <laughs> um, and then by the end of it, you realize that, that she is, you know, basically half the characters in this 
show have PTSD of some kind. Yeah. All right. They are, the whole show is about two things. On one hand, it's about sort of setting up the Marvel Cinematic Universe and saying, hey, look, we had a lot of success with Netflix Daredevil. We want to make sure that we have a lot of things in here to sort of hook your teeth into. But on the other hand, it doesn't do it in sort of the heavy handed, uh, you know, blatantly obvious way that you get in Gotham. Where they say, oh, look, all of the main characters in this show are going to be Batman villains in the future. <laughs> um, and you know them because you know that this guy's going to be the Riddler and that guy's going to be the Penguin. And this is a variation, a version of the Joker and whatnot. But instead, what you have is characters that are sprinkled in and you're wondering, well, are they going to develop this into that guy? And Oh, well, this guy's obviously going to be Apocalypse or, or what have you. And so they are trying to see it. And I think one of the biggest complaints that people have had about the series, and we're still talking tonally where it starts off as noir and then they sort of lose that noir feeling or flavor. And then they'll, they'll sort of turn back to it on occasion. But is that it seems like it drags in places and it really plays sort of slow. And did you get that feeling about the series? Um, I think, I think to some extent that, that yeah, you could say. How, how do you contextualise that? Are we talking? You know, I mean, are people coming to it expecting the action to slowly become, you know, faster, or gain in tempo over the course of the series? Because that's not the the plot that happens in Jessica Jones. There is a certainly a building, you know, and the, the rising action and so forth, building towards you know the final confrontations and so forth between Jessica and Kilgrave, but. There's a lot of back and forth between it as well, and I guess that aspect that that is the reason why um, the I guess that the the speed of the plot feels like it changes to some extent. I think through it, you've got that you've got a point in time where where it looks like you know Jessica is trying to redeem um, Kilgrave. Kilgrave looks like you know he may be redeemed, and then and then obviously there's the reversion and and so forth. So mm-hmm. I think you know because because that plot line was followed through that it did that that it may be that that's what people are feeling is that that change in tempo through the plot is um is where they feel it drags a little i, I didn't really right, feel right. that well, to be honest i, I thought it, it maintained a nice um pace throughout the series but um i think that you know that that was the reason why is because they had that those changes in what was happening and the characters goals and motivations throughout the series and um you know i guess that's why i felt that that was okay yeah and and i felt that you know where people saw you know this is dragging or whatnot some of it was character development which i really like that's what i i enjoy a lot yeah from almost any form of media is so if it's not pushing the main plot forward, but they're still doing character development or character building or something where they're revealing aspects of people's character, then I, then I like that. The other is, is that they were seeding in quite a bit of stuff for world building. All right. Yeah. So Hogarth's law agency is now going to be a big factor going forward. Yeah. It's in uh, Daredevil you know. series too. Yeah. 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 And, you know, there's a whole bunch of little elements that you go and you say, all right, this is kind of slow. And I've heard the big complaint is, you know, it was like a 13 episode series or whatever it was that should have been paired back two or three episodes worth of content. And I think you're, you know, something I hadn't thought about that you're correct is that, you know, in Daredevil, you get your big fights sort of every episode, right? There's going to be Daredevil beating people up gratuitously and which is both the strength and weakness of, I think, the Daredevil series. Yeah. Uh, but in this one, 
her use of superpowers, right? She's got super strength. She's got super jumping. She's a little bit more dur- durable than the average bear. Mm. Um, but her hey, hey, use hey. of it, the first, the, yeah, <laughs> the first few uh, episodes, it's like, oh, I'm going to pull this door practically off its hinges. I'm going to snap these locks. I'm going to use it fairly subtly. Yeah, it's very understated the throughout the series. And I thought that that was one of the big strengths is because she was sort of hiding herself from the rest of the thing, which which sort of brings us to the other big aspect of the thing. We were talking about world building. And this whole series is about relationships. All right. So if you don't care about relationships at all, you're not going to probably like Jessica Jones as a series because I think there's only one really healthy relationship in the entire series. Can you name it? Which is the healthy relationship? Oh, I'd be hard pressed to <laughs> to identify it. Um, yeah, I, and it's between the main character Jessica Jones and the, her stepsister or her foster sister. Yeah, but even right. that is a is a very flawed relationship too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It is. It is flawed, but at least it's honest. <laughs> so many of them are. Oh, oh and there's one other. That, I, I was I was going to go with the with the drug addict down the corridor. And I know there's the whole you know spying aspect in the middle of the series, but their relationship was very um, true to itself as well to some extent. Okay, all right. Uh, so you can say that in the building, in Jessica's building, where she's she lives and has her office, her relationship with the would-be social worker uh, drug druggy that 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 is despite the fact that he's spying on her mm. that their relationship when they're actually interacting that that's a very a reasonably positive one she doesn't judge him I mean she she may judge what he's doing or the situation that he is but she doesn't shun him because he's got problems um, and she supports him as best she can. No, she plays a big role in his redemption as well. You know, as the viewer, we are put in a position where we certainly pass judgment on the things he's done and the, the type of person he is and so forth. And then, um, you know, despite the, the problems that he faces, you know, through her interaction with him, through his um, personal strength and so forth, he's able to rise above it to some extent. Which he couldn't have done without her. Yeah. And then... Now, her upstairs neighbors, all right, mm. the ones with the guy in the diapers and the crazy girl. Yeah. When you first meet them, of course, I think that they're being controlled by Kilgrave, which we haven't even really talked about Kilgrave's powers all that much. But you think, oh, my gosh, they are horribly dysfunctional, right? And then at the, by the end of the episode, you still sort of hate the characters because those are the worst characters in the whole show, well, you right? You definitely still think they're dysfunctional. But you realize that they are dysfunctional people and that their relationship is what allowed them to survive. Yeah. Right? Apparently the guy was either borderline retarded or significantly Asperger's or something. You don't know what his mental defect was, but he obviously had one. Well, I think both and, both of them, the sister and the brother, you know, their relationship you wouldn't class as normal. Um, and no, their but, I, but I think that... Yeah, you're absolutely correct, but I, I think... Looking at it, though, is that it was because of their personality defects, their relationships is what helped them survive. Yeah, and certainly by the end of the, the end of it, it would be very easy to typecast those characters as, as almost the sort of sideshow, you know, circus freaks, 
that you get and a lot of that you know that with those sort of characters but by the end of the series you certainly feel a, a lot of empathy for them as much as you hate that every minute she was on screen i was like do not like do not want her on screen <laughs> um and it's not like when you have a really good villain and you hate them all right and you're like, oh, this villain is evil, blah, blah, blah. I hate that person. It's like, I just didn't want that to be a part of the story. Yeah. I didn't want them to be there. But it sort of, I think, helped the rest of the the rest of everything go. But so Jessica's relationship with her, her foster sister is they're there for each other. When there's an emergency, they're there to help each other. And so it's sort of a foundational, even though Jessica can't, can't say it, that she... She has a, you know, a great affection and a protective nature and, but not so much that she doesn't let her live her life and, and all that stuff. But yeah, I, I think you're right that, that you'll find that the building or that community that Jessica's from is where you're going to get, um, a lot of your sort of core, core character relationship stuff. Yeah. So what about you've got also Jessica's other relationship with, um, Luke Cage? Right, which starts off as a big old lie and ends in violence. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so, yeah, let's talk about Luke Cage. He is, I think, the best, you know, if if you saw the episodes that he was in, you would think he was the main character of the series, I believe. Yeah, quite possible. I think that that his role in the series as well. I mean, obviously, there's, you know, the what's not said in terms of the relationship. You know, um, Jessica was involved in the death of his wife. That's something that's still a you know very real and traumatic thing for his character. Um, that whole that whole tension is important to the development of the plot and important to the development of Jessica emotionally and so forth. But I think a lot of his role in the series as well was building up towards that, as you said before, that world building as well. I think um, you know, there's a lot of things that were sort of left unsaid about his character and his relationship with Jessica, and, and I think that, that was, you know, with an eye to a second series, um, with an eye towards perhaps, you know, pulling him out um, for his own series, which is obviously what's happening um, as well. So I think that a lot of that was going on as well. I'm not saying that his character wasn't great in the episodes. It certainly was. I, I really liked his character and um, very, very strong character as well. But I think that a lot of a lot of the, the episodes that he was in, there was a lot of world building going on. Yes. yeah, And it's kind of interesting. So you look at... All right, so Jessica Jones is the first superhero... Uh, female superhero endeavor, right? Since Wonder Woman was on television many, many years ago, right? Mm. And now you've got uh, Luke Cage being the first minority-led superhero movie since, or superhero endeavor since what? Since Blade. Yeah, yeah. And they got right. the, is it the Black Panther or something coming out? And then, and they, oh yeah, Black Panther will be out, but I don't think it'll be out before then. Mm. And, you know, you wonder, did did Marvel let these things come out because they were sort of afraid of being, you know, trumped by the Supergirl and the uh, Wonder Woman movies? Was it something they said, you know, we need to get these things out? Or do you think it was because Netflix came at them with such a good pitch and these were street level 
sort of, I, I, you know... I think it's the tone that, that Netflix wanted to go with with their series, to be quite honest. I mean, you look at Daredevil, is very much the same. It's very insular. It's very personal. It's very close. It doesn't... It's, it's not... It's, it's not about the world, you know, it's about the people next door, it's about the people just down the road, um, you know, my town, my city, that sort of thing. It's not about, you know, we're saving the, the world, we're saving the universe. So there's that aspect to it as well. It's a lot more personal, but they're also a lot darker. Um, you know, the relationships are deeply flawed, the characters are flawed, um, they question themselves, they have this this journey that they're going on that they're still going on. Um, so I think, uh, you know, I think Jessica was a, was a, a, you know, perfect choice in that regard. She's a deeply flawed character. Um, yeah, she's a, a female superhero, which is really, um, particularly given, you know, some of her personality, as, you know, the aspects of her personality as well. Like, you know, she's got things that you wouldn't normally, I, I suppose, in, in media associate with a female character, like, you know, super strength, like, you know, she, she's a hard drinking, you know, that noir, noir aspect that you are talking about earlier as well. So I think that there are a lot of things that sort of sit with her character that, that don't necessarily match up to what we would think of in terms of gender stereotyping. So, um, but, but I don't necessarily think that Marvel went out of their way to push these out prior to anything else coming out. I think that that the the dichotomy of the 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 character flaws, the genders, the ethnicities and so forth really suit the tone of the the series. Right. Oh, and you were talking about uh, you know sort of the tightness of having the mini series and uh, actually I don't remember exactly how we got to what I'm about to say next. But <laughs> so you something you said triggered this in me, which was these, when you've got, instead of like a 22 episode series or 24 episode series where you have a bunch of dead episodes, right? Where you go, this has nothing to do with the plot. Everything in these series seems hyper-focused on what's happening, right? Yeah. And you're like, how can this person's life be completely taken up by X, Y, or Z over this these amount of days? But there was sort of a red herring episode in Jessica Jones that I thought was pretty darn interesting because you think it's part of the Kilgrave plot. All right. But what it ends up being is more about the incident, which was when the people were defending the town, uh, somebody's family got killed. And so she now that those people now hate all superheroes. Yeah. And so they laid a trap for Jessica Jones. Um, which brings up, we need to talk about how smart or how clever is Jessica Jones here in a minute. Yeah. Um, but that it's a red herring. The whole, it's a whole red herring plot, which you don't frequently get in these series where you, know, you think it's part of the main plot. So she has to follow it up now because it could be important. But instead, it turns out being a neat side quest. Yeah. And it's important, too, because, you know, it would be easy to forget that it's a, it's a part of the same um, the same universe with the same characters and so forth. So having something like that really, you know, brings that back home as a, as a nice reminder. Right. And like in Hell's Kitchen, um, it was kind of funny when Daredevil first started up. I have friends who, you know, lived in New York and they said, yeah, I lived in Hell's Kitchen. It is not a crummy place. Well, how do you revert Hell's Kitchen to a pre-80s gentrification of Hell Kitchen? Well, you have the incident having crushed big parts of it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like all of a sudden it's crime-ridden because blah, blah, blah. But <laughs> Because Deus so Ex Machina. Just, 
That's right. But at least you've got an excuse that's built into a multi-million dollar movie. And you can say, this is what happened. And people go, oh, well, I guess that makes sense. Then. Yeah, well, you know, and it does. It contextualizes the series in terms of, you know, as you said before, the, the, the universe, the Marvel universe. Yes. And so, all right, let's talk a second about our main character, which we've said she's got these powers and stuff like that. What are her strengths and weaknesses? I think, Besides the whole PTSD thing. Yeah, well, I think some of her strengths are things like, you know, her loyalty and her doggedness as well. Um, and she she always seems to see the good in people even, you know, when it's not in her best interests to do so. So mm-hmm. on one hand, she's a very, you know, she, she pushes everybody away. She's very antagonistic. She's very... Um, negative and, and um, all the rest of it. But on the other hand, that, that really is a front and, um, you know, she's got, she does have that, that caring aspect to her personality as well. You see that with the way she treats her junkie neighbour, the way she um, tries to um, save Kilgrave, you know, all of those things, I think. Um, aside from, you know, it'd be easy to say, look, her strengths obviously are to do with her uh, her superpowers, but really I, I, I don't think that's how it plays out through the series. Right. She's sort of a tough with a heart of gold, right? Yeah. She's She's got this, you know, out, outward crunchy shell. She's sort of off-putting, but she's really a caring individual, even though she's trying not to be. Yeah. And that's that's sort of her downfall. And the other thing is, is she is prone She's a bad strategic planner yeah. <laughs> in most cases. It's also a result her- of her lifestyle. You know, her hard. She, she's an al- you know alcoholic. She drinks heavily and um, you know doesn't sleep very often. So, well, yeah, but she's she's really great at the tactical thinking. At the oh my gosh, how do I do this or how do I do an investigative thing? Mm. You know, sort of reacting. It's like I'm going to put my phone in the guy's pocket, and you think that. You know, she's doing one thing, but in the other, she's just going to listen to the phone and get the conversation because like, oh, she put the phone in the guy's pocket so she can track it. Well, no, she's trying to listen to the to the conversation or, you know, whenever it comes to uh, I'm going to get the food and it's going to be laced with stuff. And instead of instead of drugging Kilgrave, I'm drugging the people who he's put threats on so that. Because I need them to go down first so that they can't do bad stuff to themselves because Kilgrave is really kind of a jerk. Um, but then she also comes up with some of the dumbest plans in the world, which is, oh, uh, we can't put Kilgrave down because all of these people are going to suffer for it without thinking that by leaving him around, you're going to let a lot more people suffer for it. Yeah. Or I'm going to get myself locked up in a supermax prison. And you don't realize that takes months or years to get from I've been arrested to I've gone into a supermax prison. <laughs> so her grasp on realities versus outcomes is often pretty weak unless it's something that she has immediate direct control over. It's yeah. like kind of like she's a teenager in certain ways. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's useful for the plot. As, you know, it's useful for for um, how to build you know tension into the story and, and all the rest of it as well. Having those those weaknesses in her character. Um, very useful for that. And, and it also speaks to what side of the law that she was on. If, you know, Hogarth is going to know, you know, you can't just say, put me in a supermax prison, here's a forehead, or here's a guy's head. It's it's a process, mm. and she's going to understand all that kind of stuff. And Jessica's in the, oh, I take pictures of people and break up relationships, which happens immediately because she's a private eye and then people hate each other. 
versus the the legal system, which takes forever and ever to make anything happen. Yeah. And, you know, if I, I mean, I still think and most people do, I believe that it's always worth the risk of saying, you know, just kill Kilgrave the first time you see him and let everything else sort itself out. Yeah, because but- so many. So many people are going to die because he has so much trouble and no morals, no moral compass whatsoever. Yeah, but I think you know, by the same token, she does go through that whole process of trying to redeem him. So you know, there's I, which is great. I, that was a that was one of my favorite segments of the entire series. Yeah, and that to was, me, you know, you, you said before that you felt that Kilgrave was sort of a one note um, villain to some extent. That that aspect of her attempted redemption and the his. His sort of self-revelatory, you know, realization about him, about himself—that um, was for me what really nailed that character too. Right, and so we we haven't talked too much about Kilgrave. He's also the Purple Man <laughs> um, in the comic books, yeah. anyway. He is he is a very literal shade of purple, right? I mean, he's not just a guy who dresses in purple. Um, but when you have complete mind control power, blah blah blah, it's. It's easy to get away with being purple, I guess. <laughs> um, so he basically has the mindset of like an eight-year-old kid with the drives of a teenager mm. and no understanding of consequence whatsoever because he always gets his way. And there was one scene where um, he, he kind of comes across and, you know, basically he says something if you're within range of it, you sort of have to do what he says. And he's like, I have to be so careful. I can't tell someone um, to uh, to screw off because you don't know what's going to happen mm. <laughs> if if that's if that's the kind of order that you're giving. You've got you've got he's got to be ultra careful. He's not used to doing that. He's used to just saying things and getting his way. All right, so there's a, there's, um, a, there's a very interesting um, exchange between Jessica Jones and and Kilgrave when she's going through the redemption, where you know she she says to him, you know, you raped me, and he's and he's saying, well, how did I? How was I supposed to know? I I, I don't know whether when I tell somebody to do something, it's be, they do it because they want to, or they do it because I'm telling them to, um, and you know. It was, first of all, you know, it was a huge thing for the series to talk about rape in that way, I guess, because that's not something that, that gets, you know, that, that really is dealt with. It's usually dealt with as a sort of a, a, a crime. Uh, well, obviously it is a horrible crime, but uh, it, what I guess I'm saying is it's usually, dealt, it's usually dealt with in media as here's this horrible thing that's happened, Um Whereas in in Jessica Jones they had that discussion about it, which was you know it was it was in all all in, in relation to consent and so forth. So that was that was a really interesting aspect of the story too. Oh, absolutely! I think that, uh, and I've heard it sort of as a throwback at the, uh, you know, you got well, we're not going to go there. I was going to say you've got the bros who, who are, are tormenting people online, but I oh, guess you, won't do that. Um, tragic. Useless people that they are. Never mind. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, you know, it's basically, I've heard it's been a throwback at Gamergate and sort of throwing all that in people's faces. Well, I think that um, that was certainly said around the time that, that the series dropped and people had seen that episode. That, that was brought up, wasn't it? Yeah. But I, I think that it is obvious that from the perspective of the person who doesn't have choice, all right, this is not a willful choice that I would have made on my own. 
that there's a violation. Oh, absolutely. And he knows that he has this power. And so the question is, since he's not physically forcing them to do something, is it still the same kind of violation as if, you know, he grabbed somebody and forced them to do something? And I think that that it definitely is. Oh, and that's what the that's what the show um, goes into. And and as I said, that's one thing I, I certainly you know I think was was quite thought provoking and interesting about it because they don't you know again that that concept of consent isn't something that often you see in a in a popular TV show. Often a crime like that is is merely a, a, a plot device. Is here's this horrible thing that's happened. It puts the character in this particular position, or it has this particular effect, or it is to paint a particular character in a particular way, or, or whatever it might be. But it's certain, there's not really a discussion about the broader context of it, or or anything like that. So. Mm-hmm. And it was it was also in not just that, but that whole moment of where Jessica is attempting to redeem him. Um, that thing about you know, he, he, from his perspective, is he is he that much of a that much of a villain because he doesn't know whether his you know again like like we said before whether people are doing something because they want to or whether it's because he's asked, and and it's he has no moral. Compass. He has no ability to judge, you know, when he's um, doing something that's that's good and reasonable, or whether he's doing something that's unreasonable, or whether he's doing something that is um, morally and ethically wrong. Right, and I think that that's that's really what casts him in the villain's role is that you know he's defused the situation. You know, he go, they go out on the redemption scenario. Right? Yeah, they go out as they go out as sort of a crime fighting duo together. Um, right. To solve Which the situation think, where the husband had the family pinned up with a shotgun. That's right. And you see that. And if, if somebody had pitched that to you at the beginning, you'd be, that is brilliant. This is a great thing. Mm. And then he gets to the end. He's defused the situation. And he tells the guy to put the shotgun in his mouth. After he's already defused it, the whole thing, the the hostage situation is gone. And they're, they're there with the guy who is perpetrating it. Um, and he's like, put the shotgun in your mouth. She has to stop Kilgrave. From having that person kill himself, and he has, he he's like, oh, it's it's revelatory for him. I'm sorry, I was doing something wrong. Well, that's just it. Is it's not like, oh, yes, I get it. That's wrong. He's like, well, if you say it's wrong, okay, it's wrong. It's not that. It's he's very much a child pulling the wings off of, off, you know, yeah, yeah, off you're of, right, off of flies, and everybody who is not him. Is a fly. Yeah, and that's and I guess that's one of the reasons I really like that villain so much. You know, it's 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 out of the ordinary for, you know, normally a villain. You, you know, you've got your your archetypal villains. You know, you've got the warrior or the 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 schemer or the you know whatever it might happen to be. Um, but you know, for uh, to have that sort of psychopathic character, the way mm-hmm. the way that, that that he is depicted in the series and with the powers that he has is is I, I thought that was a really interesting character. Right, which also goes back to the whole why does he keep obsessing on Jessica Jones over and over and over again? It's like, well, he's the she's the next person that he's met with a superpower, and she's the one person who was able to sort of ignore one of his orders yeah so all of a sudden it's a challenge and he has to overcome it and he's pretending that he's trying to overcome it i think without I th- using his powers when he really can't use his powers on her i think to be honest i think early early in the series he 
is infatuated with Jessica Jones from the point where she first resisted him. And he, you know, that really was the point where he became obsessed with her and, and, you know, you could say loved her or was certainly infatuated with her. And it was after she really, you know, turned him down, I guess, that he reverted then to now I'm going to try and build up my powers so that I can conquer her again. I don't think... I don't think up until that point um, he he necessarily wanted just to be able to control her again. I don't think he saw her as a challenge. I think that that was something that came after, you know, his advances on her were, were rebuked. Right, yeah. So it started off with her being his favorite plaything because she had powers and so he had powers. So obviously they had to be together, all right? And then after she escaped his control then he became desperate to it's to be with her. I don't necessarily think yeah. it's to control her initially. Right. And yeah, initially he just naturally controlled her, I think, because that's what he did. Yeah. And then eventually his his heart, what what passes for a heart, I guess, it made him the sense of loss he felt when she left and he couldn't control it. It's like somebody took my toy away. Now it's my favorite toy in the world and I have to have it. Yeah. So but anyway, we've gone on for the better part of 40 minutes, and I think Eric wanted us to keep these to 15 to 20 minutes. So, <laughs> so well, um, let's let's just sum up. So what were your end thoughts on Jessica Jones as a series? Well, it, you know, on two levels, I, I really, really liked it. One was, I think, for the world building and the powers. And I mean, there were some there were some flaws in it, which we didn't really go into. Yeah. Uh, it's like they had to do some hand waving to make Kilgrave's powers do what they want, and sort of the explanation for that was kind of weak. Yes, yeah. okay, I understand that. But I think that all that was done with a nod towards the story. And the characters and the relationships were compelling because they were so different. And there were so many that we didn't even go into at this point. You know, one of the major villains, or not villains, one of the, one of the other superpowered characters we really haven't even mentioned at all. Uh, and, you know... We didn't go too much into her best friend and stuff. So there's a lot more to dig into, but I think that we've we've pretty much covered what we can. Yeah. What about you? Oh, I thought the series was um, was very enjoyable. Certainly wrote me in. Um, you know, Ooh, I, I watched the heck out of it. So I'm looking forward to the second series. <laughs> I I don't know if enjoyable is the word I would use. Compelling, yes. <laughs> Fascinated but, uh, by yeah. It no. was not fun. Oh, I think uh, there are certainly parts of it that are that are fun. You know, you're all, you 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 know you put into a position where you it's almost excruciating because this this you know is happening and you don't you know you don't want it to be happening because you're invested in the in the characters and the setting and so forth and then they rise above it and you go yeah go go you good thing. Right, right, right. And oh, and I think that a lot of the superheroes where you have multiple heroes, they have to have their fight, right? Mm. I think they handled those very well within the setting. Again, it didn't I, feel artificial. Like we have two guys here or two two heroes, so they have to fight. It felt like it all worked very well into the plot, and you didn't even think you were going to get them, and then you did. Yeah, but again, I think you know that the super. Aside from the fact that Kilgrave's superpower was what absolutely drove the plot and dominated the series, this the the use of superpowers and so forth, I felt was understated. Yes, yes. So I've got a question that sort of before we before we do the wrap up, 
Luke Cage, mm. all right, has reason to hate Jessica Jones because she killed his wife. Yeah. All right. And when he finds that out, he has not yet been controlled by Kilgrave. We do not see any interactions between the two after he has been controlled by Kilgrave and forced to attack her and forced to act like her friend and and all of these things. What do you think that going forward, the relationship between those two characters is going to be? Because they had, I think, pretty amazing chemistry when they were on screen together. Yeah, I think they early were- on, obviously, you had that sort of um, that love hate relationship almost that that you know she hated himself too, and, yeah, too, or she hated herself and he liked her a lot yeah two tumultuous forces sort of colliding um and then you know he found all that out and i think that the that his reaction to it was was deliberately um you know, it was it was almost like that you know when we in a movie somebody's about to be killed and they cut away and the 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 violence is off screen and and it somehow you know makes it it still is a powerful moment despite the fact you don't necessarily see it so i think that that with his character development and his relationship with jessica there was that aspect to it um i think after he's controlled by kilgrave i think he'll he'll have a understanding of um of where she was coming from in terms of you know what what is it you know did what it wasn't her acting it was Kilgrave acting so I think I th- I, th- I think they had some sort of resolution at the end of the series didn't they? Well, no, because she he was unconscious every time he was with her or she was with him after that he was unconscious and when she got back to her place he was gone. So the closest they had to resolution was when she had the shotgun to his head and he said do it. Or whatever it was he said to make her shoot him. Yeah. Yeah, look, I think so. I I think that the Yeah, it'll be interesting. I, I think that there could be a, a love hate relationship there. It's because she's still not have, she still hasn't forgiven herself, even though she knows she was not in control. Yeah, and uh, that might you know, there there could be there could be two ways to go with it where he forgives her and she doesn't. Um, or where there's still that chemistry and that that bond between the two of them, um, but there's that underlying hostility as well because of their past experiences. Yeah, so it's interesting. I can't wait to see his series. I think that's going to be brilliant, and hopefully we can do this for Daredevil seasons one and seasons two as well, maybe not quite so long (laughs) because I, I don't think it actually merits as much introspection. No, it's much more straightforward. Yeah, my, what were your final thoughts? One last thought on Jessica Jones, and then off we go. Uh, it was very interesting. I think tonally, it was it was very very um, different to you know what people might expect of the Marvel universe if you're coming to it from movies uh, from the movies. Um, it's it's dark. It's characterful. It's um, I think it's really engaging. I, I enjoyed it a lot. Right, I agree. I think it shows that. Just because it's about people with superpowers doesn't mean it's a superhero show and that it's the kind of thing that's going to keep, you know, no wave can last forever, right? No, it's not always going to be Westerns or Vikings or pirates or whatever it is. But just because there's the diversity of stories that can be told in this universe, that it's going to keep uh, Marvel and Disney making money for quite a while, as long as they don't completely screw anything up. And, and hopefully DC will get their stuff figured out uh, to such a degree before it's too late, at least with their movies. Yeah. Oh, look, I think um, I think 
Netflix and Marvel have done a, a fantastic job with these series. I think they really, you know, they took a quite possibly took a gamble, um, you know, making them the way they did. But I, I think it's really made them um, very adult, dark, very enjoyable. Well, all right then. <sighs> I'm Donald Dennis, and I'm Giles Pritchard. And uh, you've been listening to us to talk about stuff on the Inverse Genius Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time, Don. Until next time, will we? Hopefully, we'll be talking about Daredevil. Yeah. That's it for this episode of the Inverse Genius Podcast. The Inverse Genius Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Non Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 license. Thank you.